The PMI numbers on Friday showed that the US and European economies might be cooling a little more than expected for services in particular. So what does that mean for central banks? Could they ease off their hike plans? Whilst in Australia, well, that higher than expected fall in the unemployment rate, it seems likely now that the RBA will be hiking faster. How much? We'll look at that today at the start of what is going to be a very busy week, including the Fed meeting this week and more inflation numbers. It's Monday, the 25th of July, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, big falls in bond yields on Friday, down 12 basis points for US 10-year treasuries, down 19 for 10-year bonds in Germany, down 20 for 10 years in France, 23 in Italy and Spain, down 31 in Greece. Aussie 10-year yields are also showing big moves, losing 13 basis points on Friday. We saw a small fall in the US dollar on Friday, but down 1.2% over the week last week. Friday saw a 0.9% rise in the Japanese yen, a 0.4% fall in the Canadian dollar. But amongst the major currencies, pretty small moves otherwise. Apart from that, the Aussie dollar finishing uh, at 69.3 US cents, which is up over 2% last week. But that, of course, is just recovering the ground that was lost in late June and early on in July. And US stocks, they had a bad day on Friday, a 1.9% fall in the Nasdaq and 0.9% fall in the S&P 500, 0.4% down for the Dow. But until then... Uh, I mean, the Nasdaq had climbed 5.3% in the first four days of the week, so it shouldn't come as a total surprise to anyone to see one day where it actually starts to fall. And oil falling at the end of the week as well, a 1.7% drop in WTI, a 0.6% drop in Brent, down to just over $103 a barrel now. So maybe we should start on that falling oil price, because normally that means we're expecting things to cool down a bit. Let's talk about that with NAB's Rodrigo Catrill in Sydney. I mean, that wasn't the only thing telling us that things are starting to cool down. We had a lot of softer days reaffirming there's uh, quite a bit of demand destruction happening. So presumably that is what is driving oil down. Yes, morning, Phil. Um, I suppose the, the, the big declines in the PMIs have reaffirmed this notion that uh, at least the developed market uh, economies are slowing down. And, and and to be fair, you know, the, the, the numbers were quite surprising. We, we did... Um, uh, we did see a sharp decline in, in PMIs in, in Europe with the composite PMI now in contractual mode. Uh, and that is important because that, that basically tells you that, um, you know, we should be expecting a, a bit of a slowdown in Europe and potentially, you know, a negative print in terms of GDP over the coming months. Um, and in, in similarly in the US, as much as the PMIs are not as um, you know, followed as much as the ISMs, uh, the big decline in the services PMI from an unexpected decline as well, you know, in terms of uh, how sharp the decline was um, to 47 uh, with, uh, you know, the market expecting a small decline to 52.7 was quite significant. So, so now the market is sort of realizing, okay, the, the, the global economy, or at least major economies are slowing down significantly. Um, and at the moment, the, in terms of the narrative or in terms of the reaction from markets, it's interesting because it does show that it's thinking, the market is thinking, okay, we're seeing a slowdown and this uh, is going to instigate, obviously, uh, an easing in terms of all these rate hike expectations that uh, central banks are, have been talking up if you like. Um, and, and implicitly, it also means that, okay, well, an inflation is also going to slow down because 
the demand destruction that is occurring is going to ease all those price pressures. Um, and of course, there's a lot of question marks in terms of how how things are going to play out, uh, in particular, given the fact that inflation hasn't necessarily been driven by a demand side, it's been driven by a supply shock. Um, and if those issues around supply shocks are in terms of, you know, supply chain disruptions and, and price of energy and so on, if they don't resolve themselves, then inflation may well stay high, even though we, we see a slowdown in the global economy. Well, isn't it interesting that in the US, that you I mean, yes, that big drop in the services PMI, manufacturing is holding up fairly well. I mean, and you would have thought that if it was all supply chain driven, then manufacturing would, you know, would be falling and services arguably, I mean, obviously you do need external supplies for service industries, but less so, it's more manpower. Uh, you would have thought that would be uh, less liable to seeing this sort of drastic level of reduction. So that means people just aren't available to, to work, doesn't it? That, I mean, that's pointing at labour problems more than supply problems, isn't it? It is. It is a combination of, of, of things. And, and when you talk about the, the supply disruption issues, uh, some would argue that um, the, the issue around the supply disruptions is, is kind of it's an F, uh, F and flow. It sort of comes and goes. And, and whilst we have seen some ease of those disruptions, um, now potentially even again linked to that labor market, we're seeing kind of an increase in terms of strikes and, you know, truck drivers and so on. Um, and that in itself will, will actually result in, in more supply disruptions going ahead. Um, so it is. It is sort of a um, you, you're getting all these mixed signals along the way, uh, but certainly um, it, it still points to the view that we need to be cautious because uh, it isn't clear yet. Uh, we can't say with a great deal of confidence that these supply disruption pressures will, will ease, and if they don't, we need to bear in mind that those inflationary pressures will not go away. Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at strikes and stuff like that, I mean, the UK obviously they're masters at that sort of stuff, and yet their PMIs. Uh, are down, but not that much, and actually uh, a little bit better than expected. And uh, and over, you know, unlike Europe and the the, the US, which has seen, you know, that as we say, the services PMI uh, now quite sharply in con- contractionary territory in the US. I mean, it's all over fifty. It's all in expansionary territory in the yeah. UK. So they're they're faring better than Europe or the US, if you believe this. It things. is. It is, and it's, it's very surprising because um, you know the issue around the the demand destruction from you know the the cost of living has been highlighted by. Um, you know, the Bank of England, and uh, it, it was highlighted as, as a cautionary tale, if you like, from the Bank of England saying we may not need to hike as aggressively because, you know, what we expect to happen in terms of the demand destruction and activity. Um, that at the moment, as you say, is not happening. And those leading indicators in terms of PMIs are telling us that you know, the UK is actually doing okay. And, and therefore, the conclusion will be that maybe the Bank of England will have to you know, remain aggressive in terms of its rate hikes, given how elevated inflation is and how much higher it is expected to be yeah. as well. And look at retail sales. I mean, they, uh, they held up fairly well. If you look at month on month, take, take, out, right. the, uh, take out fuel. Oh, it actually rose 0.4% if you take out fuel. So actually going yes. the opposite, again, going the opposite way from what was expected. Yes, the, the numbers look pretty good just on, on face value. The, the caveat here is that uh, we got to remember this, the Jubilee was, and, and all that, those holidays and, and, and the oh, spending yeah. and drinking. All those, uh, all that, all that merchandise. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. The drinking and then the uh, the the mugs with pictures of the Queen, the tea towels, the t-shirts. Yeah, they do add up. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> I've and, got them uh, all. Um, so, no. so that makes the picture a little bit more complicated. But if you look at over the quarter, 
then the number is not as, as you know, buoyant, if mm. you like. Um, and it does it kind of paints the idea that there's been a bit of a slowdown in terms of real consumption. Right. I mean, but I mean, if that becomes a more uh, definite picture, those numbers that we saw on Friday, if that flows through to, to other data, then that obviously raises the question about uh, the stance the Bank of England is taking. Do they have to become a bit more like the Fed? Which brings us nicely onto the situation in Australia, because just as uh, things might be softening in Europe, and perhaps in the United States as well. They're not in Australia, so you have to question, has the RBA got the pace of rate hikes right? And it seems no is the answer. They're going to have to step it up a bit. Yes, that's right. And and it's something that, if anything, our economists have been flagging for quite some time now after that very, very you know significant drop that we had in the unemployment rate to three and a half, which really was, was too large to ignore. Um, and then, of course, um, the other thing that the economists have been flagging is that we're going to we expect a pretty big number in terms of the Q2 CPI print this week. Uh, with a quarter and quarter uh, on the core reading uh, going up to 1.5. So just to give you a sense of how big that number is, we haven't had sort of a a big print like that since Q4 1990. So it is a big number. So what are they going to have to do? Well, we we think that the RBA will have to accelerate the the pace of hikes. This doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to, you know, take the cash rate to a much higher level, but it does mean that they have to, get us there in terms of the neutral level, if you like, a little bit quicker than expected. Um, So we now see 50 basis points hikes, and not only in August, but uh, in September as well, and then slowing down to 25 basis point hikes in October and November. So overall, it means that the cash rate in Australia will get to 25 by the end of the year. and that's where we think that the Fed, not sorry, the RBA, as well as the Fed by the end of the year, will would have done enough to maybe, you know, pause a little bit and, and see how we are, where we are in terms of activity uh, before any major decisions are taken from there. Of all, of course, uh, in the just going back to the United States. And so it's interesting that, I mean, equities had quite a fall on Friday night, but of course, up a hell of a lot during the week last week. And I'm wondering why that's happening. In fact, you know, the Wall Street Journal is asking exactly the same question over the weekend. And is it is it because people are expecting that actually the downturn is not going to be that bad or it's going to be shorter than expected? And of course, you know, throw in earnings season into this as well. I mean, that's I mean, that's their point. You know, some of these results in in uh, in, in the earnings results haven't been that great. And yet uh, we've not seen what you might expect in the market reaction to all of that. So I'm wondering if you look at uh, the break even inflation rate, that, you know, the difference between five year Treasury yields and inflation index bonds that is down now. It was three point six percent in March. Uh, it's down to 2.7% now. So is, th- is that telling us that we are thinking now that things are not going to be as bad and therefore uh, not going to last as long and, and hence, uh, you know, a little bit of optimism in equity markets? Yeah, definitely. I mean, in terms of the, the break-evens, you know, the price of energy and oil in particular um, tends to be quite significant in terms of sensitivities. And, of course, we've seen a decline in, in oil prices. Um, and then, again, it's been a function of, you know, all this talk from central banks in terms of trying to slow down the economy. And, and certainly we've seen that reaction in uh, in energy prices. And, uh, you know, in the background, all this story around the, the gas supplies um, now reopening coming from Russia uh, in Europe has also played in terms of an ease of concerns uh, in terms of those uh, price pressures, particularly for, for gas in Europe. So it is sort of a positive story, um, but it's, you know, at the moment, it's still very precarious, if you like, because we know that Russia can, you know, all of a sudden find a reason, you know, to turn the tap off. Um, uh, 
and that obviously will instigate new new volatility. Well, he's certainly ensuring, isn't he, that there's uh, not too much being sent down that pipeline, so that uh, you can't build up too many reserves. So he's still in control. And and, and on that, That's right. you know, we had that deal supposedly on Friday, the end of last week, uh, for grain supplies from Russia and the Ukraine. Well, it's Thursday, I think, wasn't it actually? But then. Uh, we had that uh, uh, that was signed off to to lift that blockade on Ukrainian ports. But one day later, uh, attacks on Odessa, the port where those grain exports go from. I mean, just another confirmation that, you know, he's in charge. Uh, he's going to say it was a military target. I think he already has, hasn't he? Uh, and there are still yeah. hopes that grain exports will happen. I mean, if it was a military target, then perhaps they can. But for how long? I mean, again, we are at the beck and call of Vladimir Putin. So food and energy supplies, it's up to him, not us. That's right. I mean, I, I suppose the, the interesting to note about that is that uh, the Ukraine is still going ahead with the deal as, as much as they, you know, you know, calling the barbaric atrocities from, from the attack. Um, uh, and to your point, Russia defense to all of this he said well the deal is that we will allow you know commercial vessels and 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 port activity to resume in terms of for grain exports to resume uh, but we will still attack any naval vessels um that are in the that are in the region and and in fact you know at least if you believe what russia is saying is that that's what what occurred on on, on friday so um it just highlights, for one, again, the tensions that remain very elevated, very, very high, and, and mm. two, that you know Russia can easily, you know, um, you know, tweak or change a- any agreements and, and, and expose uh, not only energy but food prices as well. The other risk we should be aware of, although I wonder how big a risk this is, although you know we we might have said that about COVID in the early days. Uh, monkeypox now declared by the World Health Organization as a global emergency, and basically they're saying it needs a coordinated international response. I'm not really quite sure it's going to, you know, it, it's obviously not going to be as as big as COVID because it's nowhere near as as infectious and it's uh, it doesn't have that gestation period uh, where you can spread it without it visibly being evident that you've got it or you being aware of it. So from that point of view, it's not such a great emergency, but it does mean that there will be more people off work. Uh, and uh, But we're seeing that anyway, of course, with COVID-19. Uh, you know, there's a lot of data suggesting that actually the number of sickness days that people are taking around the world are increasing uh, this year. And we've got to bear that in mind, haven't we? Yes. Um, I suppose uh, in reading more details around uh, the, the news, um some um, or a few have suggested that you know one of the issues with uh, the World Health Organization, particularly when it came to COVID, was that they were a little bit too late to the party. That they should have you know rung the bell a little bit earlier. Um, and and there's a sense here that um, maybe they they're trying to be preemptive um, and they're and ringing the bell this time a little bit sooner. Um, and I suppose. You know, it's it's great news to some extent. You know, if if we know that it's happening, and now the the fact that the the WHO has, you know, raised the concern, it does mean that we should see a step up in terms of global cooperation. And we also already have had uh, President Biden saying that not only the, uh, the the his administration has been committed to vaccine first testing and treatment. But now that they are determined to even accelerate the response and and and, and be more reactive to all of this, 
So, so I suppose it, it's great news because um, it, it gives us more hope that, uh, that we can prevent a, a bigger concern coming from it. And eating lots of bananas doesn't help you, apparently. That, uh, if you see that on the internet, just ignore it. Look, today, uh, Japan gets department store sales. Uh, their inflation numbers in today and on Friday, month on month, uh, flat, 0%. Uh, I mean, they, uh, I mean, lots of parts of the world would like to see uh, having inflation uh, as low as we're seeing it in Japan right now. Yeah, so I suppose, uh, I mean, I wouldn't, uh, it's not flat in the terms of zero, it's flat in terms of it wasn't uh, changed from the previous months. So uh, so inflation in, in Japan, the headline number is still 2.4, which is a big number yeah, for, yeah, for, for Japan. For Japan yeah. um, and then the ex uh, fresh food and energy is, is rising very slowly from 0.1 to, to 1. So it is happening, but at a very, very slow pace relative to what we've seen in other parts of the world. Um, and I suppose... In terms of perspective, like the, the department store sales, again, are important in terms of saying, well, to what extent is the consumer being affected by this rise in inflation? Uh, uh, and so, so it will be a little bit relevant for, for Japan because expectations are that, you know, it will have a, a demand impact uh, in terms of that small rise in inflation that we see in there. Um, so in terms of the highlights today, we, we do have the IFO survey in Germany and, and the CBI one in, in the US, sorry, in the UK. Um, there's also another survey service in 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 um in the U.S., which are relevant given all this focus around activity. So the Dallas Fed and the Chicago Fed and National Activity Index will be of some relevance. Yeah. But really, for the week, it's, big, it's, big it's week. a massive week. Yeah, yeah. And, um, so see, and let me let me just say that because we, like. yeah, we, we, we've got to move on because we're over time already. But yeah, it's CPI for Australia and the Eurozone, GDP for Europe and the U.S. Uh, and the, of course, we've got the FOMC as well uh, and some uh, big uh, company earnings as well. Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, Meta, all that. I mean, hell of a week, isn't it, this week? But We'll, uh, we'll, ca- we'll catch up on all of that as the week goes on. We have to leave it there for now. A great story, Rodrigo. We'll catch you again soon. Okay, cheers. You know we could talk about this for hours, couldn't we? That's it for the morning call for this Monday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. Thanks for listening. Catch you then.